Well, hello. Welcome to another online ABF service. We are so glad that you have clicked play and, uh, and uh, you're with us. Uh, we just know that so many of you are traveling, you're on vacations, you're all over the states and in the world, and, and just know that we are thinking of you and we are praying for you. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and worship together before we dive into God's Word. So grab a cold drink, your Bibles, and uh, we'll get to it. See my victory 
internet people. It is so good to be with you. Worship team, thank you so, so much. Hi, everybody. I'm Josh. Have a couple of announcements for you guys. First of all, if there's anything that we could be praying for you for this week, we'd love to pray for you. We know that there's just stuff going on in your lives, and we would just love to partner with you in prayer. Please text any prayer request to 97,000, and we will pray for you this week. There is so much going on here at ABF. If you are interested in knowing about those things, about ministries and events going on, please check out the website. The calendar is always updated. You can get any information you need there on the website. Also on the website, if you've been blessed by this ministry, this online ministry, these messages every week, and you'd like to give financially, man, that is such a huge part of keeping this thing going. And so if you're interested in giving, you can do that online on the website under the Give tab. Uh, Man, that would be a huge blessing for us. Thank you so much for continuing to partner us in giving. Uh, 
Now we're going to get to our time in the Word, and I would just love to pray for that time together. Let's pray. Dear Father, um, Lord, just thank you that we get to continue to do this. Um, thank you that these videos get to continue to go out and that people can access them so easily that your word is at our fingertips. Um, Lord, I pray that you would just use the teaching of your word today uh, in just a sweet way. Would you meet us exactly where we're at and say exactly those things to our heart that we need to hear, Lord? We pray that you just convict us and stir in our hearts now. We love you and we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Uh, so glad to be with you. Uh, my name is Chris, and I'm a student ministries director here at ABF, and so excited to be with you. Uh, for uh, most of you guys, maybe no, maybe not, but I just got back from vacation last week, and it's so funny because uh, as soon as I landed, even when I was in Tennessee, uh, I had people contact, why are you in Tennessee, and, and what, what are you doing in Tennessee, and, and it's just like, I was on vacation. Like, I had, we have some family that moved there a couple years ago. It's just so funny because I think if you're a Christian and you're in Tennessee, then you must be moving there. So, uh, just to uh, assure you guys, I am not moving to Tennessee. I didn't go out there for uh, any reason to move, just visiting family. So, uh, with that said, uh, we've had your, of course, uh, flight issues and all that, but it was an amazing week. And to sum up a week in Tennessee, let's see, I saw an armadillo die, and we scraped it off the road. Uh, I lost my phone in a river, and uh, yeah, ate some, ate some good meat, uh, but it was an amazing Fantastic time. So glad to be back. Uh, so we're going to continue in our summer series. I'm excited about this. Continuing our uh, summer series, Supporting Cast. Uh, kind of a, a study uh, look at people who just don't really get a lot of attention or, or maybe get overlooked, uh, that don't get a lot of airtime. And kind of the idea of this is, is we all are part of a supporting cast for a much bigger picture for God's ultimate purpose. And our roles uh, vary depending on, on who you are and how God has gifted you, but we're all part of the bigger story. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Josh started this series off talking about King Josiah. A little recap, King Josiah became king at eight years old, which is insane, after decades of just horrible, horrible leadership. And then Josiah seeks the Lord and devotes to obeying him, which changes everything. And uh, Josh challenged us about our spiritual leadership. And even if you're not a person in authority, who are you leading spiritually? And uh, what is your ministry? And, and I love that question because I ask students all the time, uh, where is your circle of influence? Uh, you are uh, leading spiritually someone and in some circle. Uh, what a wonderful reminder uh, that Josh gave us. And uh, last week, it was so glad, it was uh, amazing to have Pastor John uh, come back uh, to uh, speak and um, and uh, he spoke on Barnabas and, and just kind of laid out some amazing characteristics uh, that Barnabas had. Uh, Barnabas understanding his role. Uh, Barnabas was humble, uh, knowing that everything was all about Jesus no matter what. Uh, not about us and showing the importance again of, of ultimately surrendering and supporting the greater call, which was to lead others to Christ, a part of his kingdom. And today, continuing into this series, I want, I want to talk about a young, passionate, and faithful man named Stephen. And with his story, even though it's just a couple of pages in the Bible, just a couple of chapters, just a few pages, pages um, it shows that, again, it, it's not about us, 
It's not about us individually. It's about what God is doing in the bigger picture. His story is powerful and important, and there are a few lessons and a couple reminders that I want to get to uh, and the impact that he has made um, as a supporting person. So I'm going to dive in uh, to uh, God's word here in a moment. We're going to pray, and then uh, we'll get after it. Join me in prayer. Well, Father, we just thank you so much for just a chance to uh, sit down, to be able to open up your word and to uh, read this amazing story, this account of Stephen. And uh, we just pray, Lord, uh, for encouragement, Lord. Pray that this would be a time where uh, we can just uh, feel your spirit move, Lord. Allow us to um, hear what you want us to, to hear. Open our eyes and our, our hearts and our ears, Lord, uh, to this passage, Lord. And we thank you so much for who you are, Lord. And uh, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Stephen's story is found in only Acts chapter 6 and 7. And I'm going to give you kind of a little bit of a recap, some context of where we are picking up his story. Um, Acts gives the history of the actions of the apostles uh, in the leading of the early church. And uh, a couple of years ago, we as a, uh, here at ABF, we did a, a long in-depth study into the book of Acts. So if you are curious about that, you can go online and, and see and go through that series. But basically, uh, chapter one starts with uh, right after the resurrection, uh, Jesus is walking around fully resurrected, and he's walking around for 40 days, over 500 eyewitnesses see the resurrected Jesus, and he's preaching. And then toward the end of chapter one, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives, and he's got his 11 disciples, and he is about to ascend into heaven. And uh, he tells them, go and make disciples of all nations. You cannot go where I'm going right now, but go and make disciples of all nations. And then later in that chapter, we see that the 11 disciples say, hey, Judas is no longer with us, because if you know uh, the gospel, Judas betrays Jesus, and then he goes and kills himself. So they get together, and they are praying about who's going to replace uh, Judas, and they choose Matthias. And then in chapter 2 of Acts, we have uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit. We have uh, Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit comes, and, and it's like a tongues of flames on, on the shoulders. And the disciples, it's like a crazy scene. The disciples are, are speaking all of the languages of all the people that are in town, and, and thousands and thousands of people are getting saved. In Acts 2, we see that all the believers were devoted to praying, to uh, sharing uh, meals together, and, and doing life together. And all together, they had all things in common. The early church during this time was booming. Thousands are getting saved. And it's interesting because the Pharisees thought, hey, if we just kill Jesus, if we just put Jesus on a cross and crucify him, all the believers will scatter, and Christianity will be no more. But nope, that did not happen. Jesus resurrected, and the believers grew. And now the apostles are healing, and they're preaching, and the church is growing. What an incredible time in church right now. 
So that is where we are kind of picking up the story in Acts chapter 6. And you might be asking, okay, so, all right, so who is Stephen? Chris, get to the point. Why is he so important? So I want to kind of give you just a few little things about Stephen before we get into his story. Uh, During this time, most historians believe that he was 29 years old. Uh, So a young man. Uh, I just turned 40 a few months ago, so I think 29 is pretty young. Uh, He was a young, passionate Greek-speaking Jew. Uh, He was a Christian, and he was willing to do whatever the Lord wanted him to do. He just had an open heart. Whatever the Lord wanted him to do, he would do it. He was incredibly articulate. He was full of wisdom, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He not only knew the Old Testament, not only knew the Torah, but he understood it. There's a difference between knowing the Bible and understanding the Bible. And he knew and understood, and he knew that every single thing in the Old Testament ultimately led to the fact that Jesus is all about Jesus. Everything pointed to Jesus. He was aware that all the prophecies pointed to Jesus being the Messiah. And lastly, he demonstrates, Stephen demonstrates that we need what we need to be able to do which is to be ready to give a defense of why we believe what we believe. He demonstrates what we need to be able to do, which is to be ready to give a defense of why we believe what we believe, to be able to defend our faith, to be able to defend our faith. Apologetics. He becomes the first Christian martyr. He becomes the first Christian martyr And Stephen's death sets the stage for massive expansion of Christianity. And I know just me saying that kind of really doesn't make sense if I say Stephen's death sets the stage for massive Christian expansion, but it does. Persecution caused Christians to scatter, to go everywhere, to flee. Because of that, Church plants are happening in different areas. The gospel is being shared by uh, many people in different nations, just like Jesus told them to do in Acts 1, verse 8. Share the gospel to Judea, Samaria, and all over the world. Pretty crazy. So, You understand what Acts is? We are up to this point. You now know a little bit about who Stephen is, so let's get into his story. So Acts 6, we're going to start in verse 1. His story is in 6 and 7. We're not going to go through every single verse. Don't worry. We're going to kind of skip around a little bit, Uh, so stay with me, and uh, we'll be fine. So chapter 6, verse 1, here we go. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Okay, so we'll pause there. Just for a moment, uh, the Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews, so kind of uh, what Stephen was. Uh, the Hellenists were a group of people, they were Greek-speaking Jews. And to sum up pretty much what's going on here, church attendance is growing fast. Church attendance, attendance is speeding up rapidly. And widows and their kids are being neglected. 
not intentionally, this isn't done on purpose, but it's overwhelming, as you can imagine, for these 12 disciples who are growing this church, who are preaching, taking care of people, but it starts to become overwhelming when thousands of people are getting saved. They're having a hard time taking care of everyone and everything. Growth in ministry is great, but it creates new needs and duties. Growth in ministry creates new needs and duties. This is not the disciples being stuck up or snobby. This isn't them saying, I only preach, I only share the gospel, I'm only on the stage. This is not it at all. This is them saying, okay, we need to do what Jesus wanted us to do, which is go and share the gospel, to go speak and to save people. They understand what their calling is. In ministry, there are so many needs that need to be met. There's so many moving parts. You, you might have come and visited uh, the office during the week, and you might see uh, a lot of us just kind of scrambling, and, and Pastor Scott's like gardening, and, you know, and, and, and I'm folding up tarps, and, and Josh is doing uh, what he's doing. And, and, and like, there's so many moving parts behind the doors that you need a lot of help. You need a, a, a lot of leaders, a, a lot of volunteers, a, a lot of roles that need to be met. There are so many moving pieces, so many moving parts. As a student pastor, I could never by myself serve the 80 junior high and high school students and all their families completely by myself. That would be impossible. There's no, I would be terrible at it too. Uh, I, I need the help of, of, uh, of Cameron and Zach and all of my high school and volunteer leaders that, that come here every single week and, and devote their time because there is no way that I could do, what, uh, could do all of that by myself. Um, I have to have leaders that can help disciple and mentor and set up and tear down uh, to pray with students, to make sure that students are being greeted, to make sure that they're, saying hi, that they're being said hi to, just like at our church. Um, I'm going to share with you uh, the worst night of my junior high um, uh, history here at the church. It's okay. It's been years. It's been a few years, and all those kids are now in college, or I think a couple of them are married already. Uh, but just to kind of show you why there, is, uh, there, there are needs for growing ministries. Uh, I was doing a fall kickoff, so Fall kickoff uh, for student ministries, that's like one of your biggest nights of the year. And I had like 40 junior hires. And uh, just so happens that I had a couple leaders uh, that were sick, a couple leaders that were traveling out of town all of a sudden, and a couple leaders that just, they couldn't get out of work or couldn't get out of what they were doing. So guess what? It is me and 40 plus junior hires uh, with a lot of caffeine, and I have all of these inflatables going on. So I have on the basketball court, I have a, a, an inflatable boxing ring, right, with the massive boxing gloves on the field. Uh, I have a massive obstacle course, and then in the youth room, I have all of these games and stuff. And it is chaos. It's fun, but it is chaotic. And all of a sudden, what happens within 10 minutes, uh, the breaker flips, and I have kids in the obstacle course that the obstacle course is collapsing on them. They're like, Chris, and I'm running down the basement and I'm trying to figure out what breaker. And this is a true story. All of a sudden the door opens and I hear, hey, Chris. Yeah. So-and-so fell out of the boxing ring and hit his head on the basketball court. 
he needs ice. Okay, okay, all right, I'm coming. So I flip the breaker and I run upstairs and then, and then I'm getting ice for the kid and make sure he's okay. And say, hey, hi, hi. Saying hi to students that are just arriving and trying to, to, to say hi to the mom who's like, is this the right place? And then all of a sudden the obstacle course is deflating again. So I'm running back downstairs and I'm flipping the breaker and then all of a sudden I hear a true story. Hey, Chris. Yes. So-and-so got his tooth knocked out in the obstacle course, like he needs you. And it was two hours of me just trying to handle all of this. I'm not going to lie. I thought I was going to be done working at the church, but God was um, with me. God was uh, so filled with grace. He was so, so amazing to give me the patience that I needed. That was the worst night in student ministries in my life. All that to say is that... There is a tendency that when pastors and ministry leaders, when they try to do everything, they can get burned out. And we see here that when ministries are growing, we need leaders and we need volunteers and we need people to step up. God calls us to serve in our churches and in our communities. Roles may vary, but all is needed. Okay, uh, moving on. Verse 3. Therefore, Brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, in whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, I'm sure I butchered some of those names. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. In verse 7, this is huge. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So basically what happened is the apostles are saying, okay, we're recognizing that there are some needs in our church. There are some people, there are some widows, their kids, they're getting overlooked. We can't keep doing everything we're doing right now. We need to have some people in place to help out. And we see that they're picking these people and there's wisdom in choosing leadership. We see that there's wisdom in how they chose their leadership. My first point here with Stephen is that Stephen was chosen because Stephen was fat. Stephen was fat. Now, that's funny to me because uh, Pastor John actually mentioned that last year about Barnabas. So I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I heard it and I was like, I like it. I'm stealing it. But I'm going to give him credit. I'm giving him credit that I took it from him. I'm borrowing it. Uh, but Stephen was fat. He was the definition of that. And if you're like, what are you talking about, Chris? What I'm talking about is this. He was fat, but he, what that mean, means is that he was faithful, available, and trustworthy. There is wisdom in choosing leadership. It's an important thing to note here that they didn't just choose anyone. They didn't just see, hey, there's some needs that need to be taken care of, and we need to get that fixed before people start getting really angry. Instead, they say, hey, we recognize there's a problem. This is what we're going to do, and we're going to execute it. And so because of them being wise, they said, hey, pick out seven people. They need to be trustworthy. They need to be uh, wise. They, they need to be full of the Spirit. They didn't just choose anyone. 
They didn't choose the most popular or funny person. They chose the person that was right for that role. The qualifications of good repute, which means they need to be widely known and respected, full of the spirit and of wisdom. And we see this careful decision-making back in Acts 1, when those original 11 chose who is going to replace Judas, which was Matthias. Here at ABF, we have been blown away by the quality of men and women stepping up and being amazing and faithful leaders. Not just men and women, junior high and high schoolers, people that have stepped up and have dedicated years of volunteering and leading in different ministries. And that's amazing. Some of you have been so faithful and we're so thankful for that. At Camp ABF, I know we've talked about this a couple of times, but we had over a hundred leaders give every morning for a whole week. And those kids would not have the week that they had if it wasn't for you. So we we're thankful for that. And we just want to say, man, if you're looking for a place to lead here at the church, man, we always have openings, right? I know with student ministries in junior high and high school, I'm always looking for, for people that want to invest into our youth. If you're looking to find a place, uh, maybe God has wired you or given you different skills and talents uh, for a certain area, and, and you want to uh, utilize that and you want to share that with us and in our ministries, man, we, we ask and beg that, yes, pray about that, but let us know because we would love to add you to, uh, to where there are some needs at. So please let us know. Uh, so continuing on, Acts 6, still there. Now we're going to be in verse 8, verse 8 through 15. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses and who said, the false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. In verse 15, I love this. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council, council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Stephen understood the assignment. Stephen understood the assignment. When you are devoting your life to becoming more like Christ every single day, when you're pursuing Jesus every single day, opposition will come. Opposition will come. Someone won't like your beliefs. Someone won't like what church you go to. Someone won't like what you're doing on Sunday mornings and so on and so on. And we must expect opposition when living in this broken and sinful world. Stephen knew what he signed up for. 
He knew by being part of this early church, by taking care of some needs and duties and, and making sure that widows are being fed and, and preaching and, and, and going in all the different areas that that was going to put a target on his back. He knew the costs. Steve understood the assignment. Jesus says to count the costs of following me. Matthew 5.11, Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. In Matthew 10.22, Jesus says this, You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. If you choose to follow Jesus, you let him be the Lord of your life, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. It might cost you money. You might not be able to do a job that you love just because of the nature of it. Because as a Christ follower, you just can't be in that atmosphere. It might cost you, following Jesus might cost you a relationship. It might cost you a friendship. I tell students and people all the time, man, if that friend is tearing you down and bringing you down, and not encouraging you and lifting you toward him, you got to get rid of it. you got to get rid of that relationship. It might cost you where you spend your time, where you spend your free time. That's why Jesus says to count the cost, because you're either in it for the long haul or you're not. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this point, but I think it's very interesting. It says that uh, they looked at him, and he had like a face of an angel. And we see during this time uh, that he is calm, he is confident, he is full of the Holy Spirit, and wisdom is just pouring out, right? Remember that they can't, like, uh, they can't argue with him because he has an answer for everything. It's frustrating them. And in Ecclesiastes 8.1, the author says this. He says, A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face changed. Wisdom lights up a person's face. Wisdom lights up a person's face. In Exodus, we see when Moses is on the mountain and he's spending time with God. He's coming down the mountain and the people can't look at him. They're scared because his face shone the radiant glow. He had to put a cover up to speak to the people. Perhaps being filled with the Holy Spirit and being close to the end here with Stephen, maybe he's seeing Jesus. And because of that, his face is shining. Moving on to chapter 7, and again, we're not going to go through all of it because uh, there's just so much here. And this chapter starts with, now Stephen is being taken to the Sanhedrin, the council. And I have a picture up, and as you see that, uh, the council, the Sanhedrin, was the Jewish high court. It consisted of 71 men and led by the high priest. The council could decide the, uh, could decide the fate of the people, and Stephen would have been in the middle of that, being the accused. In chapter 7, he begins to give this sermon. He gives the, the history of the Torah. He, he goes in and he talks about the history of Abraham. He, he's talking about Joseph, the history of that and his family, and Moses, and and the fact that it all leads to the Messiah. Remember, he not only uh, know, knows the Torah in, in the Old Testament, but he understood it. He knew that everything pointed ultimately to Jesus being the Messiah. 
Stephen in the sermon for 50 verses in chapter 7, go back and read it. For 50 verses, he's talking about why he isn't blaspheming and talks about the Torah and the temple and why Jesus doesn't need a temple. And that everything up to this point all points to Jesus, the Messiah. The council would have known all of this. Basically, they are getting a history lesson on their own people. But Stephen is saying that they blew it with missing that Jesus was the Messiah. He's saying that Jesus was the Messiah, and guess what? You hung him on a cross. You crucified him. You killed him. After Stephen walked them through the patriarchal period, the Mosaic period, the Torah period, etc., he turns around. So if you see that picture again, and imagine this, he, he turns around, he points his finger to all of the 71 people in the Sanhedrin in that council. He turns around and points his finger in verse 51. He says, you stiff-necked people uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Wow, he, he lays out the truth here. And, and this is very dangerous territory. Jesus just got crucified not that long ago. And I love that he never backed down. He, he never said, you know what? This is getting out of hand. I can see where this is going. I apologize. I just want to say, you know what? This whole Jesus thing, I won't talk, to, I won't talk about it that much. Like, he, doesn't, he doesn't back down from his faith. He doesn't try to make excuses of why he's saying things or why he's doing things. He's not trying to escape any type of penalty or punishment. He's not trying to make friends here. He is being filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with wisdom, is preaching, saying, man, these people need to hear the truth. He saw an opportunity and he preached. And he gives the epic of all burns. If you want to burn someone and insult them, you can say this. He says, you stiff-necked people a term that Moses used a lot, so they would have known that because they loved Moses. And then he says, you are uncircumcised, <laughs> uncircumcised. To Jewish people who believe in the covenant of circumcision, basically he's saying, you are all about the show. You're all outward, you're not inward. And Stephen says, your ancestors rejected God, and you are no different, and so do you. As you can imagine, when he was done speaking, um, they didn't applause. They didn't say, man, you know what? You're right. Like, mm, I needed that. That, that, was, that was a good uh, conviction there. Uh, he did not make friends. Um, and we're going to see what happened here. Going into verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they grounded their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So earlier we said maybe he's seeing Jesus uh, toward the end. Right now we see that he is seeing Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now you might know that name. 
Remember that name? We see that Saul being part of the Sanhedrin. He is here. He is present. He's not just one of them, but he is an authoritative figure. They are laying down their garments at him, in front of him, and he's giving his approval. Saul of Tarsus will turn to Apostle Paul here in a couple of chapters. It's an amazing, amazing moment. Persecutor turned to evangelist. Verse 59, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. In chapter 8, verse 1, it says, and Saul approved of his execution. Things got out of hand really fast. He gets stoned, and sometimes we, we, we read things, and we don't fully grasp what that was and, and what that really looked like, what that really looked like, and we don't picture what a stoning was really like sometimes. Uh, we think, yeah, there's a guy there or a woman. Maybe they're getting rocks thrown, and then eventually they're going to die. It was way more horrific and barbaric and violent than what you and I could picture. Uh, I used to pitch uh, in baseball, and I, I pitched all through elementary and in high school. And uh, when I was in pitching, I was an outfielder, so I had a pretty good arm. And I remember in third grade, um, I, I had a baseball. Uh, I was playing second base at the time. Before I grew, I was playing second base. And uh, as a third grader, I threw the baseball at the third base, but the shortstop kind of walked right into it. It's third base. I mean, it's uh, third grade. They don't really, not everyone knows what they're doing. And the baseball hits the kid, my teammate, in the ear, and his ear starts bleeding. He, he falls down on the ground, and he starts crying. I actually feel horrible. I'm, like, crying myself. I'm like, I didn't mean to do that, please. Um, and that was third grade. Fourth grade, I remember I was pitching on the mound, and uh, there was a kid there batting. It was in the game, and, and I threw, uh, threw the pitch. I pitched the ball, and it hit him right in the ribs, and I just heard the sound of, of the baseball hitting his ribs, and then he dropped down and was crying, and I felt horrible, but not as bad, because uh, he was on the other team. I, I, felt, I felt bad. Uh, and I remember in high school, as pitching, uh, uh, getting up there in velocity, not, not a whole lot, but uh, I remember hitting a couple of kids, maybe sometimes on purpose, I don't know, uh, but uh, I remember hitting one kid my senior year, and it hit him right here, and you just heard the sound. And that's throwing a baseball with, with some smooth surfaces. But when you talk about a stoning, what you have is you don't have a baseball with smooth surfaces. You're going to have something like this. You're going to have a rock that is sharp and filled with edges with different shapes and sizes and weights. A rock like this, or, or even a rock like this. And as you can imagine, a grown man filled with rage and anger, throwing this as hard as he can at someone. Or throwing a rock like this with this weight down at someone. And the way stoning would work, there's two options. One, if you were near a, a, a roof, uh, they would just throw you down, and then you would hopefully break your legs, and uh, then they would just drop these big stones, and they would allow uh, the, bone, uh, the bones to break uh, and the flesh to open, and you would slowly get knocked out, and you would eventually die. That was one way of doing it. 
not a quick death, a painful, slow death. The other way is that, uh, depending on where you were, uh, they would have these pits that were like 10, 12 feet deep, and they would throw you into the pit. And when you're in this pit, you can't get out. And they would take rocks like this, and then with all their might and all their strength, they would just throw as fast as they can. Rock after rocks, just rage and anger. And what these rocks would do while you're in the pits, they would come and they would cut your flesh. They would cut your eye. You'd be bleeding. And then when you are broken, they would start taking these big stones and just trampling you with them. You would slowly, slowly die. Horrific, violent, barbaric act. Not a quick death, torture. And I was thinking about this. I'm not sure if I'll ever be stoned like that. I don't know if I'll ever be in a pit like that. But I've been in pits. Maybe you're like me, you've been in pits. And the pits are just different pits. Maybe the pits are isolation. Maybe you're in a pit of depression. Maybe you're in a pit of loneliness. Maybe you're in a pit where you just can't feel like you can catch your breath. Instead of these rocks being thrown at you that are literal rocks, you're getting financial issues being thrown at you. Relationship issues. Anxiety, fear, anger. All of that just keeps getting thrown at you and you're feeling like, I can't escape. And what if, I, if there's anything I can learn from Stephen in this point, we see what he does. He looks up. He looks up and he sees Jesus. And it might sound cheesy, but if you're like me and you've been in those pits, you just got to look up. Because when you fixate your eyes on him, everything gets blurred and you can focus on him. Just look up. What a beautiful reminder. He looks up and sees Jesus standing looking at him. And I love verse 59. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Did you catch any bitterness there? Did you catch any anger or any denying of faith? He had time. Before the first rock was thrown, he could have been like, I, okay, okay, you guys call my bluff. Like, like I'm good. Like, I'm, I'm going to denounce my faith. I'm going to stop speaking about Jesus. I'm going to stop taking care of the widows. He doesn't do that. Unwavering faith till the end. The peace of Christ is real. We see this here. I don't know about you, but man, I've been in some severe pain. And when that happens, I am not calm. I don't know, maybe you've, you've stubbed your toe in the middle of the night and you're just like, ah, right? Maybe a word pops out or not that you're not used to saying, right? I remember a few years ago, my finger got slammed in the car door. And if that's ever happened to you, you know how painful that is. It's hard to think. We see here that Stephen is calm. He's peaceful. And he cries out even for forgiveness for them. I don't know what is going on in this moment when he's being stoned. But he is looking at Jesus. And he's not suffering. He wasn't alone. And we see this with Daniel in the lion's den. We see this with, with Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. 
They're not getting burned up. Stephen is here asking for forgiveness. I love Stephen's heart for the lost. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. His asking for forgiveness to the people that are stoning him, that baffles me. And we see this kind of like Jesus did this on the cross. And I don't think he's trying to uh, mimic Jesus, but I do know this. Um, when you are walking with Jesus, your wants becomes what Jesus wants from you. Your desires become what Jesus' desires are. It's incredible. I love that Stephen's heart is in the right place. I'll be honest with you. If I get cut off by someone on the road and they just kind of give me that look like, I'm, yeah, forgive me. Like, I don't even want to look at that guy sometimes, right? Because I'm so frustrated. But here, Stephen's getting stoned. He's dying, and he says, forgive me. Forgive them. When you walk with Jesus in a daily routine, and he is truly your Lord, and you put him first, our desires become his desires, or his desires become our desires. To close up, when you read this story, there's a lot there, but in reality, it's only two chapters. It's three pages. And uh, when you look at your Bible, it's just such a quick blip of time. So fast, yet his impact, Stephen's impact, is still being talked about 2,000 years later. And will continue until Jesus comes back. His persecution caused rapid evangelism. Christians scattering to start new churches because of persecution. James says, in the book of James, he says that our lives are just a mist or a vapor. We're here today, we're gone tomorrow. Our small moment in history might not seem like a lot, but our time has a purpose. And I think sometimes we think our time and our purpose doesn't matter, that it has little impact. And that's not true. Uh, a few weeks ago, we were in Mexico, and uh, I, uh, my team, we had, 20 high, we had a group of 20 with the high school, and um, you, you arrive Monday morning, and there's a foundation. There's not a house. And uh, I started signing jobs, and... Uh, and the kids are like, really? There's going to be a house here? Okay, how, how does me taking a couple of nails and hammering this piece of wood, or how does me, uh, I don't know, uh, how does painting this wall become a house, and, and how does cutting this piece of wood make a wall, and, and so on and so on. And each student and myself, and, and, and we're taking these little pieces of time, uh, uh, the moments of time and these little nails and tools, and we're like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't. I don't see this big picture. I, I don't see how my little impact is going to make a difference. But as everyone is pouring into this house, you step back and you're like, oh my goodness, there's a house. I'm on the roof doing a couple of nails, but when I get off, there's a house. My time was being used for a greater purpose. And I love when you get to, on that last day, you get to hand the key to the family. And they get to walk into that house. And that house is going to be there way longer than me being alive. And they're going to grow their kids in that house. People are going to live in that house. The impact of just a few days 
for the greater purpose of his kingdom. It's amazing. It's amazing. We are all part of the supporting cast. We are all part of his story. Let me pray. Well, Father, again, we just thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for Stephen and his impact. A 29-year-old who's filled with a heart for you to do whatever you want him to do, Lord. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that even though his life was cut short, it wasn't for not a purpose, Lord, but you did amazing things to that. And we are so thankful, Lord, that it shows that you are with us even in our times in the pit and that we can look up in our suffering and we can see your beautiful face. And what a beautiful reminder that you're comforting us, Lord. We just pray, Lord, that you just show us what can we do each day? What can we do each day to help build your kingdom, Lord? Knowing that our impact is small compared to your ultimate plan. But what can we do each day, Lord? And we're so thankful and we're humbled that you choose us. You choose us to be part of your story, Lord. And we love you. In your name we pray, amen.
Well, we appreciate you, and uh, we're so thankful that we get to spend a few moments with you. And we hope that this passage uh, in this series, uh, Stephen's Life, was an encouragement to you. And if there's anything we can do as a staff or as a church to to be praying for you or whatnot, please don't hesitate to ask. And uh, we love you. Have a good week.